Well, this is a continuation on our class of the five solas. Beginning several weeks ago with sola scriptura, then sola gratia, then the last couple of weeks, sola fide, and starting this week and next week on sola Christus. So, let's begin with this question. If you ask the average person on the street what the Bible is all about, what do you think they would say? Rules for living. Rules for living, absolutely. What else? Mythology. Pardon? Mythology? What else do you think they would say? It's about these people that lived a whole long time ago. Really have anything to do with us. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think they would say about Jesus? Good man. Good man? A teacher? What else? Moralistic stories. Yeah. Very good, Bill. What if you ask them, what, do you, what are the Old Testament and New Testament? What do you think? How would they answer that? What's the Old Testament and what's the New Testament? Next question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's then, this is now. God's wrath and God's love. Very good. God's nicer now than he used to be. Yeah. Do you think they would consider those as intertwined? As part of the whole story? No. I don't think so. The scripture is about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, the person and the work of Jesus. How do we know this to be true? We say this. As Christians, we say, yes, the Scripture is about Jesus, the work of Jesus. God's plan for the redemption of His people. But how do we know this to be true? Jesus tells us. The old, that's good. And where do we find that in the New Testament? Yeah, there is a wonderful story, wonderful story in Luke 24, starting in verse 13. What is that? He's on the road to Mason. What happens? Well, I've been told. <laughs> I asked the wrong person. I knew it. I knew it. What happens? Go ahead. Okay. Really? Well, Jesus is walking along, and, and we're, we're told that he's not recognized by those who are walking. And these two people that he comes up to walk, they're very sad, and they're talking about, 
what has happened, and in their minds, um, the promise, the hope of, 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 of the Messiah, he actually came and died. And so um, they're just feeling full of despair. And, and Jesus begins to talk to them, what, you know, inquiring what's happened, although he hasn't opened their eyes yet, as the text would say later. Um, but when he does do that, when he does open their eyes and begins to reveal himself to them, he begins to teach them about how the scriptures have been about him, beginning with the prophets and with Moses and the prophets, I think is the, the phrase. Um, so that's a summary. Very good. Good summary. The Lord Jesus opened their eyes and their mind to scripture. And then he began to tell them that the entire Bible and the prophets, all about him. The Bible is not, folks, about some book that we go to to find an answer to a topic, or if we have a certain uh, problem, we go to one certain verse in the scripture and take a look at that. It's not something that we put on our bedside table and never open. No, Scripture is about one thing, and that, again, is the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is about the coming of Jesus, the prophecy of Jesus. The New Testament is about the atoning work of of Jesus Christ. That's what Scripture is all about. And at the heart of that is Jesus Christ. Well, how does this help, if we know this, how does this help our understanding of sola Christus? How does it help us understand what that means? I've talked too much already. <laughs> <laughs> how, does it, how, does, how does that help us? If the message of the Bible is about Jesus and his... If he is the focal point of, of all the scriptures, everything points to him, either toward him or back toward him, and explains what he did. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Then salvation can only be through Christ alone. At least that's what the Bible would, would teach. Sure. People have come up with different on that too, but that's what the scriptures teach. Yeah. Great answer, Murray. Someone else? What's that little phrase in the children's Bible that every word... Every page whispers his name. Every page whispers his name. As you read scripture, every page whispers his name. It just gives me chills saying that. Well, what happens when we make the Bible really about Jesus? And how does this impact how we read, study, and understand? I think we just discussed that. We are constantly seeing passages that refer to Jesus like we've never seen before. Um, I have read Ephesians 2. I can't tell you how many times... And I never saw that 
being rich in mercy and grace, made me alive, and this is not of my own doing. It just never came alive to me until one day I was praying and I was reading that passage again and it just jumped out at me. It's like uh, Martin Luther in Romans 1.17, the righteous shall live by faith. That tormented him. That tormented him because he knew he could not live a righteous life until God opened his eyes and his heart to say, no, that righteousness is yours. It's imputed to you through the work of Jesus Christ. And in the eyes of God, he sees us as being righteous. So I think it helps us Alisa, as we as we go through Scripture, um, I just would add this. Um, I think what, what, in light of like some of the things that we're experiencing today culturally, um, <coughs> won't pick on, but I'll just critique. Some of y'all have read The Shack, you know, the movie's out, hmm. and it's a pretty big um, hit for the, for a lot of people. And I think what's interesting about about that, um, not to be a culture basher. But the, the premise of that book is, for example, that God is whoever you need him to be. And, um, and it's, and it's a, an interpretation of, of, of Scripture based solely on experience and, and dramatic experiences from the author's life. And that is a, you know, I could do some theological kung fu and make that sound and work at some point. And I think that they're, 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 it, it, it's such a razor's edge. But... Instead of, and you don't want to see me do theological kung fu, right? Instead of going to that, when we, when we, you know, plant, you know, anchor in on Sola Christos, Christ alone, this, this immediately filters out anything that I would want to import into the text itself. So I have to start there. And uh, I just would add that as, as, as the beauty of this, too. We might get to, hey, God, God is who you need him to be. I just think that when we do do that through Christ alone, um, we find that it's not necessarily just up to us to decide what that is. Like he actually knows us and knows what's best for us and gives us what we need, even when we don't deserve it. But that's only through going through that grid. So I just was thinking that for whatever it's worth. That's excellent. Excellent comment. Well, how does Sola Christus inform us of our understanding of the church? Good question. What is, what is, what is our church all about? Jesus Christ, our head. Yes. If the Bible is not about Christ and his redeeming work... And if that's not taught in the church, our church is nothing more than a social club with a meeting on Sunday morning, with a meeting on Wednesday evening for the men or the women's Bible study. But if the Bible is true and Christ is who he says he is, 
in the church is his bride for whom he came and died and the one that instituted by him to carry out the proclamation of his word and ministry until he turns again or returns again. And praise God, that is what we live and teach and preach in this church. And we pray that that would never change. You think of this church compared in contrast with many other churches and denominations today that have shifted away from sola Christus and practice many like the Jehovah Witnesses have changed words in the Bible like the gospel, the word, sacrament. They are meaningless. People don't realize that this exists and is necessary because of Sola Christus. But just as Ryan said, our culture drifts away. In 2001, there was a hymn that was written by a man, I think his name is Keith Townsend. This hymn, read a contemporary, hit the top of the chart in the mid-2000, 2005, and 2006. We sing it today in this church. Does anyone know what that is? In Christ alone. And there's another one. All I have is Christ. Yes. In Christ alone was sung by Natalie Grant. Okay? This hymn was in the hymnal of the Presbyterian USA denomination up until 2013. It has been removed because of lyrics. How could you? How could you? How dare you? Because of lyrics. Did they cite any reasons? Um, yeah, but there's a lot. Yeah. And it would take us... Don't like Keith Townsend. Yeah, but they, it was... Well, the main reason was just because of the lyrics. Yeah. And a lot of us know that by memory. I love it. Is my wife in here? Yeah, she's out there. Out there. <laughs> I hope it's sung at my funeral. I really do. You remember that, darling? <laughs> I'll be long gone. <laughs> I, I don't think. I'm taking notes. Well, when the Reformers confessed Christ alone... It was not something that was done without a lot of thought, a lot of prayer. It wasn't just a slogan, uh, but it was a product of long, long theological examination of Scripture, of study, and what the Bible really says about who Christ is. This holds true for all the solas, just not solar Christians, but all the solas. The underlying reason they fought so hard for sola Christus is that our salvation rests and depends upon the person and the atoning work of Jesus Christ apart from any works. Let me read you this passage. 
1 Timothy 25. Anybody know what that says? Besides our two pastors. 1 Timothy 25 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, and that man is Jesus Christ. Paul gets right to the point, doesn't he? There is only one person, and that's Jesus Christ. Well, why do we need Jesus? We're talking about the man of Jesus, uh, this man Jesus. But why do we need Jesus? That's number, question number six. Well, the answer is simple, isn't it? We got a big problem. And what is that problem? Sarah said. Sin. Sin. Absolutely. God's law stands over us, the Ten Commandments. These aren't recommendations. These aren't suggestions. They are commandments meant to be obeyed perfectly. Outwardly, inwardly. But anyone that has tried to be good and meet these standards know that it's not just difficult, folks. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. In other words, we know that we have not and cannot meet the requirements of God's law. We've got a problem. Our guilt and shame is a result of us not meeting these standards. So what's the solution? Better teaching? Huh? That we learn more? Try to do better? Sure. Even Muslims despair of that. They kind of realize. Yeah. The ones who are themselves realize they can't uh, the dictates of the Quran. And some of them are so desperate that they try to they go to sacrifice thinking they can get into the head of their. Good, Bill. So if we can't, we need somebody that can, right? And who is that person? The person is Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. Because of the fulfillment of the law matters, Jesus fulfills the law on our behalf and mediates on our behalf in this way. We have union with God and we are justified before God. This is why we have Sola Christus. Well, let's drop down and look at the person of Christ and the identity of Christ in Scripture. Um, first reference of Christ in the Scripture is where? Where do we find this? Should be in your outline. Genesis 3.15. Someone read that, please.
So what is the context here? What, what, what is being said? Yeah. It's depicting a future battle to take place at some point. And who is going to bruise the heel? The specific offspring of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent, and that serpent will bruise his heel. Mm-hmm. But this points to who? Points to Jesus. This points to Jesus Christ. He is the one that will redeem us and save us. This next passage is absolutely beautiful. Speaking of the person of Christ and the identity of Christ. Let me read this very quickly for us. It's on your printout. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. What do we see? This is so, so rich. What do we see in these passages that gives us insight to who Jesus is? What do we see here? It's full of descriptions of who Jesus is. Flesh and God. What do we see? First one, Bill? That Jesus was God in the first verse. Yeah. He's always been. What else? Pardon? He's the Word. He's the Word. What else? Well, this strange thing that he was. 
three persons. What do you do with it? I was asking you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a a beautiful, fascinating thing. So I have to say, I learned two things. He is God, and he has fellowship with God. And then later to say, uh, he was at his father's side. Or dwelt in his bosom, as King James would say, which is a really beautiful way to put it. So you have this double statements of relationship. There's a relationship that God had with God. This one who had was God had a relationship with one who is God. You know, so you have to begin teasing that out, but that's on the surface what's being told here. Does everyone understand that? What else do we see? Okay. He is the creator of all things. He became flesh. The Word became flesh. The incarnate God. So why did John write this wonderful gospel? All those that went through the John class should know. Bingo. Thank you, Sarah. So the way we believe that Christ, the Son of God, we believe in His name, we have eternal life. Let's look for a moment here. We've got less than 10 minutes. Let's look at the deity and humanity of Christ. And the question here is, is it possible to separate the deity of Christ from his humanity or vice versa? Can you separate the two? Here's God. Here's man. the man Jesus, is it's possible to separate these two. Come on. It's possible in your head to do it. <laughs> well, yeah, and we've got a, I've got a question to follow up on that, Darwin. Um, no, it's impossible, really. How could you? God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ for three and one. In your head, yes, as Darwin said. Well, let me ask you this question. And be honest, please. Is it harder for you to believe that Christ was fully God or fully man? Or I don't want to say was, is. Is it harder for you to believe that Christ is fully God or fully man? It's just um, not comprehend. I, as a human, I can't comprehend that man could be man and not sin. Okay. Good, Lisa. Would most of you agree with that? I think 
Yeah. I have trouble with understanding who Christ was before his birth, before he became flesh. In other words, how, what was, where was this humanity then? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. He was with God. He is God. From the from before the beginning of time. I, but then I see him as God, more like God the Father, before he became, before he became actually flesh. I mean, is, or was he always, the word became flesh from the beginning of time? Always. Okay. Always. Well, he was conceived as, I mean, it was planned, but, but what's weird is that we have a God who's always been some case, some way, not his divinity, but he and his constitution as God and man became something that he never intended. I can't, that just blows my mind. He, he took upon himself flesh at a particular point, uh, and he was not that before. So that's what he is that now. That's when his humanity came about. That's right. <coughs> Bill. Good comment. Um, you know what's interesting about this is when Jesus, or during his ministry, people saw him do miracles, raise the dead, made them alive, heal the blind, make the lame walk. Yet they denied who he was. After the resurrection, they saw his hands and his feet. Yet they still denied who he was. Well, we are uh, we're running out of time. Um, of course, there are. <coughs> Let me just go back to that. Um, you're saying uh, you're saying that denied who he, denied his humanity. Like they saw Jesus, they saw him do what he was doing. They didn't question the acts. They didn't question the raising from the dead. They saw it. They had to explain it. And so their 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 questions was well, he he must not be man at all. He must be fully God. That's what you're saying, right? That's what they yeah yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just think that's fascinating because it is because um, it doesn't it doesn't argue with what they saw, which is interesting. It doesn't argue with what what the scriptures even present as being factual. Um, it's just the conclusion that they can have is that based on what we saw, <coughs> and this is the earliest heresies, right? He he can't he can't he must be God in some type of 
uh, non-human but human-looking form. And um, I just that's interesting, especially to our more modern minds, who uh, you know, we we think that we live based on rational, fact-driven knowledge and, and no faith. That I mean, it's not too far from the tree two thousand hmm. years ago either. We, we just are throwing everything out because we haven't seen it. Um, take it for it. That's it. No, that's excellent. Thank you. We have about two minutes left, and I want to. <clears throat> close with some scripture passages here what Jesus and Paul have to say on this matter John 8:24 I say therefore to you that you shall die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he you shall die in your sins in John 8:58 Jesus says to them truly truly I say to you before Abraham was born, I am. Then Colossians 2.9, For in him, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Then lastly, Philippians 2.6-11, Who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, and that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should ca- confess, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God. Amen. Then lastly, as we pray to close, I want to read this. Lyric from In Christ Alone. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe. This is a gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died. The wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. Amen. Let's go to worship. And you all, I know, will be very, very, very happy to know that next week you've got Ryan again.